0: Hello and welcome to The Donfather, a family podcast about the Essendon Football Club. Now, as seems to be a running theme with the Donfather episodes, just as we record them, edit them and get ready for release, some new news tends to drop around the Essendon Football Club. And unfortunately, in this case, it's a little bit of bad news with the passing of Dr. Bruce Reed, a long-time servant and newly minted Essendon legend. Of course, our condolences go out to his family and loved ones uh we were going to release this episode yesterday but however given the news that came to light we decided to hold off and of course in that time there's been some more major news breaking with the general manager of football at Essendon Dan Richardson being um, given the sack so of course we, we don't cover any of that information in this episode but we will come back Um, given that trade week starts on Friday at the time of recording we'll go through all of that information we'll dissect the trade week and all those sorts of things in a future episode but with with us today we have a really special guest we've got a friend of the show Joel who's someone who's very very close to the Essendon Football Club and a a long-standing legend of the Essendon Football Club just uh, something to note that Joel had such good insight and, and so much good information for us that I didn't go um, ahead and any edit any of it out. I, I wanted to make sure that we got everything that he said. So when you're listening to this, and, and I'll start the recording in just a second, but when you're listening to this, just be aware that there are some audio difficulties with, with the connection uh, and some other audio artifacts in there that I just I just wanted to leave it as as the pure recording so that we didn't miss anything. So just forgive us for that and of course we'll be back to our sloppy standards by the next episode anyway. So wherever you are sit back enjoy this interview and hopefully you get some really good insight. So strong, so proud. I never said thank you for that. Now I never have a chance. May aim May angels lead you in. All right, as promised before the break, our special guest. And Matthew, given he's a relation of yours, why don't you introduce him? Yes,
1: well, um <laughs> Backstory of this one, uh, this is, going back a couple of years now, I believe I was a young, uh, I would have been either 19 or 20, um, I'm only 22, nearly 23 now, but um, I think I'd just been, uh, I was playing senior, I played my first few games of, of senior football, um, and I i got dropped, uh, I think I, I, I can't remember why, I didn't put my head over it or something like that. But anyway, I uh, got dropped, and obviously at that age, you know, instead of going playing reserves, he went back and played um, in the 19s. Um, and so uh, that, this is where Joel enters. Now, Joel was sort of, uh, if, if my memory serves me correctly, you know, he, assistant coach of the 19s, but wasn't there full time. He was there sort of as, as he could be. Um, but uh, I, I, I rolled down, uh, I think we were playing, oh, I'll keep it anonymous, but playing somewhere in the Vaffa, um, down St Kilda way, lovely, blowy part of town. And uh, got got speaking to Joel before the game, and I think we spoke then for at least 30 minutes, uh, followed up by uh, Joel would uh, just launch into a scathing attack on, on, <laughs> on Facebook of what he really thought of the Essendon Football Club, particularly uh, after a loss, uh, probably a voice of many fans. But, uh, no, Joel, thanks for coming.
2: No worries. Thanks for having me. <clears throat>
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, good, hey, mate. So, uh, do you want to give us some background onto how uh, you started, or sort of started uh, with the Essendon Football Club? Do you remember your first game, or or how you? I uh, mean, vivid memories.
0: Yeah, and which round of Essendon Bulldogs was it? Because that seems to be everyone's first <laughs> game on this podcast.
2: Oh, really? Well, would that be the two thousand loss, would it?
0: <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> it could
2: be. It, could, it wasn't my first game, but it might have been yours. No, no. My first game goes back. It would be uh, 1989. Oh. Um, so it's a while back now. Uh, and so you had um, Timmy Watson, Simon Madden, Terry Danaher, Billy Duckworth, Daisy Williams, um, Paul Salmon. Look, you go look at the list of the players back then. That, so they were all well-known names from back then, um, and I was lucky enough because um, my dad worked at the club at that time that I got to sit in a very, I guess, privileged position um, in a, a great spot in the one of the stands down there at windy hill just over the uh, players' race. Yeah, it was obviously the um, in the days before the t- teams played at the at the stadium venues um, around Australia, um, and each team had its own local local oval so it was a windy hill um if you get i cannot remember the first team we played but that was the first season anyway 89 um, yeah 89 was, made a prelim that year um and we're a good side that year but i clearly remember hawthorne and and uh geelong being the two best sides that year by far and essen wasn't able to get close to, to geelong or hawthorne really in that year
1: not not much no has
0: changed <laughs> yeah. there they were heady days when the bombers actually played finals oh heady days oh yeah tell me about it.
2: Yeah, yeah that's what we're, well that's what we're here to discuss isn't it and then the, the year after we made the grand final um yeah and i've yeah. never never seen the replay of that one though boys no. yeah
0: <laughs> um, my earliest memory of, of footy is actually watching the ninety three grand final on TV and mm. we had um the the great Father through a barbecue mm. um but I I only have cause I was quite young at the time. I only have vague recollections of that game and I remember um Michael Long's goal mm-hmm. and I remember the final siren and but that's that's it. I would remember the barbecue a little bit but that's mm-hmm. it. Um that's mm-hmm. all I remember of footy that year.
1: Mm-hmm. Was it
0: touched? Was it touched? It definitely was not touched. <laughs> no, I don't, but
1: I I tend to agree. But hey, Joe, I've just got a question um mm. So obviously having your dad high up, did you have a lot to do or a lot of uh, crossroads with uh, the great Kevin Sheedy?
2: Yeah, well, our families are very close. Um, My mother uh, went to school with his wife. And so um, uh, the way my mum and dad got married was through a blind date scenario that um, Kevin's wife, Geraldine, set up. And so, oh wow! <laughs> well, no, the yeah. Look, we we go back a long way with the Sheeties and they they've got four kids, um, and all similar similar age to to myself, Zachary, and uh, my sister Emily. Um, so like we spent a lot of time with them as kids, family holidays, etc. Um, and yeah, Kevin was always around then. Um, and he's always. You know, I think he's he's largely a similar guy to what he was back then. Always was pretty eccentric, good. Yeah. Um, like to have a good time, like to get up to Queensland and get on the beach and stay fit, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we have we have a long history with the Sheeties, all of us. In fact, I'm um, speaking to the son, uh, Sam Sheedy, the other day, and so we talk a bit as well. Um, so yeah, yeah. it's okay. a Connection, yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay.
1: No, no, you're all right. You're all right. Is he? I mean, we all know Kevin Sheedy, the like the AFL coach, and now probably more of an AFL figure, uh, mm-hmm. like a mascot figure. What was he like? Sort of, was he as intense around the dinner table? Like, was he did he did he, did he change? You know, was he a person, you know, AFL coach, but sort of different in his private life, or is just the same Kevin Sheedy wherever you get him?
0: I have this uh, this vision of Kevin Sheedy if he didn't like what got served up for dinner it was very reminiscent of Essendon West Coast in 2003 pointing slitting throats that's what I reckon it would have been like at the dinner table
2: waving scarves Yeah <laughs> Um I suppose it's a good question look I think that look I as I've grown into an adult we've had I've had less sort of contact with him for sure but my impression is that he's you know, he's largely the same person um, away from football. Um, he's a very sort of um, loving family man. Um, that's one thing that's very clear about him. He yeah. He loves his kids and he, he's, he's one of those guys who will actually say to his son, I love you, you know, or his daughters, you know, in public, that kind of thing. And not, um, You know, not, not all fathers are like that, but he's definitely one, I think. Um, so he's got yeah. a very soft emotional side and i think that's come through and i think that's probably why he's been was such a success as a coach because he was able to connect with people and his players on a human level um uh so so that's that's one aspect of it but if, of course um, you know around the meet, like as a coach he i think he had a lot of cunning as a coach in the in the box that i think has been missed from the essen football club um and it didn't necessarily have to come back through him we could have got other coaches through the door but I think that was his strength. One of his strengths as a coach is that he always had a had a, a desperate um, uh, want to defeat the opposition and and to do it from the coach's box. If he could win the win a ball, uh, win a game from the coach's box every week in terms of strategy or a move of a player, you know that's the way he'd want to win a footy match. Um, so, yeah, that that's a, that's sort of one summary of him, of, you know, I guess.
0: I get the sense that. Um the footy club hasn't recovered from the Sheedy era Um, and in, in a similar way to um, perhaps Man United in that when you have a coach that is incumbent for so long that they travel through different generations of football and different generations of players, you can almost get set behind the times a little bit um, in that he started coaching, I think in the eighties. Right. Mm. And, by the time he finished, it was the early 2000s, mm. and um, or even it was 2007. So mm. um, there there wasn't that evolution of culture that perhaps bringing in fresh blood through the coaching ranks may have created, or, or there wasn't that change that perhaps was something that was necessary in that time. Would you agree, Joel? Uh, yeah,
2: I think I would agree. I think a lot of the successful years that Essendon had were built around... His level of motivation at the time, his his um, uh, involvement in the club at the time. I think that, uh, those were the years when Essendon had success, when when Kevin was coaching his best. Um, yeah. And so, if you divide it up, you can kind of divide it up into maybe three or four eras where Essendon was playing really good football, and then there was probably some dips in between where. Maybe even Kevin might tell you that he was sort of off his game a little bit, mm. but his, obviously his strength was his ability to reinvent himself um, would be one of his strengths. And then his I think also his ability to reinvent himself quickly. I think we've got his position now with Essendon is that we're, we've kind of told ourselves that things are going to take a long time. I mean, even we've got this – you know, going into twenty twenty one, we've always already got this word "rebuild" around the place, and I don't see it like that at all. I think you can you can become a good team again very quickly um, if the right if the right sort of um, cultures and procedures and people have got the right mindset in place. And I think – so that, that was definitely one of his strengths as well. If you look at 92, just to, before you come in, sorry, Nick, if you look at 92, the the guys weren't playing great football. They probably finished just outside the finals. And then he mm. comes along and they've they've reinvented themselves. They've discovered new talent and they go on to win the premiership.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I um, – there cool. is a lot of talk currently around the rebuild but I'm I'm with you in that I don't think it necessarily takes that long I think if you get if you get the um the off field stuff right you get the culture right I think to you know in order to get onto an AFL list you are such an elite football player mm. that I I find it difficult to believe that Really, any AFL list, I, development's a different story, right? So mm-hmm. you can have players that are, are not experienced enough yet, mm-hmm. but I don't think you lack talent. If you're any player from number one to number 44 on a list, every single one of those people can play football. So mm-hmm. I think the, the term rebuild, I think it's a bit of a cop-out sometimes, mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it takes pressure off the club a little bit without necessarily mm-hmm. being of any benefit to the club.
2: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, look,
0: the
2: I mean if we let's let's sort of go back to the start of the year and if we say, okay, and I know we we're maybe advancing the discussion too quickly, but let's let's just look at that and we'll say, well, where where could Essendon finish at the end of twenty twenty? Ideally, where were we looking to
0: finish, do you think? I my personal opinion is I thought we would finish somewhere between fourth and seventh. I thought that was a, a pretty comfortable Spot for if we got lucky with injuries and got lucky with with a few wins, we'd finish fourth. But mm-hmm. certainly not outside the top eight. I didn't think our mm-hmm. list warranted, and where the way we performed at times last year, I didn't think we were going to be a team that fell out of the eight. No way. Mm-hmm.
2: Definitely. And so when I, I agree. So when I look at the team, and I think obviously we had um, some problems with injuries this year. <coughs> yeah. Look at the team this year. I think we'll go four to seven, four to eight. And then I'd probably think at our best we we probably could have played off at a prelim and, and perhaps a grand final. Yeah. So now we we come to the end of twenty twenty and you think, okay, now the core of our side is still there. We've we've lost we've lost some players. We lost we've lost Dana who wasn't really playing anyway. And, yep. and Tasia looks like he's going. So You might not have thought those, let's say we're going to finish in the top eight or the the bottom half of the eight, we're probably going to do it without Danaher playing a lot of football anyway and and for Asia. So with those guys out, you probably go, right, but now we've lost Saad and um, McKenna, who's another story, and I think he's an interesting case. Um, You probably go, well, now now that the the word rebuild's come in, well, six months ago we were talking about playing finals and we've only lost four players since there. Two of them are yep. playing much anyway. Yeah, a rebuild is a, is about when a side is down the bottom for, for years on end, and that's not the case at Essendon. What we needed to probably do is go back to the draft and top up a few weakness areas that we had, uh, or maybe you, you know exercise another pick um from another club to bring in, and then make, sort of refine it from there. And I think we could have had a good another good season in twenty twenty one. And I'm still. Mm that's going to happen I still think we've got the potential to do that but it's it's going to have to take and I'm not sure what's happening internally but the word rebuild the idea of a rebuild shouldn't be on anyone's mind at Essendon internally I can understand members having that idea but hope internally I really hope people at Essendon are not thinking that way
0: Well, I think if you look at our list profile, right, especially with Danaher, Saad and um, McKenna and Fantasia leaving, that really shifts our list profile. We've got some, what we'd say, older guys in Hooker, Hurley um, at the top end. And then Mm. everyone, the majority of our list is 24 and under. Mm. So we're kind of... Um, halfway through a rebuild, if if you know what I mean, like we the the parish, I think we started that process with Parish, Francis, and McGrath, and I think they, and then then we got some really good picks around that with Ridley. Um, so I think we're past that initial part of the rebuild, and I think we're just topping up, and I and I would think that we need to top up with younger talent, but we're just topping up that that core group of twenty four and under, mm-hmm. um, and. And, and actually continuing forward. I don't think we're going backwards at all. I think we're continuing forward mm-hmm. um, from a list point of view. Yep, definitely.
2: I agree. I think that's a perfectly well-argued position. I'm totally happy with that. Absolutely. I think that's we, – we, and, again, we've got – look, if you look at it again, you've got all Australians on the list, and we've lost one of those in, um, in Danaher. I think at one stage in 2019, we might have had the most all Australians of any other team in the competition. So yeah. we're not devoid of top-end talent either, I think. And this will touch on in the culture discussion, but I think one of the problems is that we've had all-Australian players who then haven't been able to get back to the form that
0: they've had in those all-Australian years. Um, I um I call it the curse of the crow um, mm-hmm. because I think Justin Crow... And, and you'll have a better idea of this than, than I will, but I think Justin Crow was appointed because we had... Um, the weapon in that position beforehand, mm-hmm. and um, Essendon were they either didn't have the money to go after someone big in the fitness department, mm-hmm. or they didn't have the inclination at that point. They did, they they had so many other things to think about. I think they uh, they promoted Justin Crowe, and I don't think he had the knowledge base or the credentials to actually run an AFL fitness program, mm-hmm. and. And from my external perspective, I think they 100% mismanaged um, Raz and Danaher's injuries. I think they they got it completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way that they rehabbed them was wrong. And whether mm-hmm. some of that was Danaher, as um, Goddard has has seemed to suggest, whether some of that was him not doing the rehab himself. But I, I think the the buck ultimately has to start with stop with the guy who's in charge of their rehab. Mm-hmm. And I don't think. He was good enough for the position he was given, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
2: yeah. I think with um, with Justin Crow, you've probably got a guy there who didn't probably doesn't understand the nuances involved with training footballers.
1: Yeah um,
2: the the type of train. Look, and I'm not a fitness guy, so I can be criticised here. But just talking at a general level, if we think about what a good fitness football fitness person is. You've probably got to say they've got to have skills with working with with athletes who have diverse athletic abilities, whether it's jumping and different types of running styles, um, different types of kicking styles, or a whole mixed bag of things. I think with um, Justin Crow, what you had was probably a, a guy who can run a fitness um, can run a fitness program, uh, but I don't see him running a, a football fitness program. Um, mm. And I think his style did not suit our players at all. And I'll, I'll give you an example and I'll be happy to talk about. This one, so Cale Hooker, for example, mm. he won all he, the year he became an All Australian. It might have been the the year might have been the year the year he became All Australian. He actually went and got himself his own running coach trained overseas. Yeah, I'm not sure if you knew if you've heard that before. It's probably been tweeted and things like that. So. There was obviously something there that he felt he was missing out on um, yep. that Justin couldn't give him. And I would probably argue that, uh, you know, that, that that's been a similar story for other players. I think you can look at other things too, like the amount of guys we've had in the last two to three years who finish games, games um, and actually then don't play the next week. Yep. And as somebody who studied that pretty closely... I can't give you an exact figure, but that is something that happens on a regular basis at Essendon.
0: Yeah, it's the the inability for us to get our list on the park, and it all ties into everything, right? But mm. if you if you can't get your best eighteen or twenty two on the park, you, you're not going to be competitive. And you look at the last three years for Essendon, mm. and. Danaher and, and Fantasia have legitimately—they might as well have missed the last three years. So they had breakout seasons in 2017, and everything looked really good. We bring in Smith, Sard, and Stringer, and you think, "Oh, we're just going to continue on the upwards trajectory." Mm-hmm. And then the fitness staff let us down. We—I mm-hmm. don't think—I think Stringer and, and Danaher played like six games together in the entire three seasons mm-hmm. that they've been on the list together. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, well, that's a—that's a great stat, that isn't it? Really. And that. And. Yeah. Sorry. Continue, please. Yeah, Dick.
0: Yeah, and he just never. If you can't get any consistency of players on the field, mm. then you can't ever build form together. They mm. can't ever understand each other's running patterns. You mm. don't build that camaraderie that's so common mm. um, and and required in football teams. It was just mm. for. I mean, it's never going to be one thing. But for me, that as as someone who works in that space, that has been. One of my biggest frustrations with the football club Mm. is that they just cannot seem to get their best players on the park.
2: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it really, a lot of it, um, some of it does come down to um, the way they do their pre-season, the way they were doing their pre-seasons, the way they were rehabbing, the whole philosophy in terms of how they prepare their bodies um, and then recover. Their bodies, I think, was was not a strong philosophy that they had, and then of course, um, when you're doing that for them, for the young players who are coming into club for the club, they're not then learning those correct habits to then be able to um, put them into operation themselves. So it's a it's a bad pattern that reinforces itself um, down the track, unfortunately. But hopefully, I mean, look, we've got a new. There's a new fitness guy in there now. Um, I think it's probably we've got to give a bit of time to see how how he goes, but hopefully they've dealt with that aspect of it um, because it's certainly an important aspect of it. I, I often say what kind of career would, say, Michael Hurley have had it at at um, Hawthorne or what career mm. would Kale Hooker have at Geelong, something like that. Um, and And I think they probably would have had better careers than what they've been. How to put out at Essendon.
0: Absolutely. I
2: think some of that does have to do with these issues we've been talking about, about fitness and preparation, things like that.
0: Yeah, well, John,
1: I mean, obviously, just, just you know, we've talked about a lot of on, on field issues. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think, obviously, um, we mentioned, maybe I think it was off air, we, we spoke about um, Paul, Paul Brush's new video, um, or mm-hmm. the video he released on the weekend. Um, and obviously, he's conducting a review. Now, do you, do you think, well, the, the, I mean, the, the, the writing's probably on the wall, but um, from a sort of an off-field, um, you know, management level, board level, uh, is our on-field dramas and, you know, that football department sort of uh, dramas, are, are they sort of a reflection of some of the mismanagement or uh, untidiness we have perhaps in the off-field uh, managerial side of the football club?
2: I would say yes, definitely, as we've been as we've been discussing, and again, I'm not there. I'm basing this on of course, yeah. Discussions I have, what I see, what I what values I bring to the table as well. People there's people who, who will look at a football club and say, Well, what's Xavier Campbell got to do with how you perform on the field? Um, and you can have that view, but then you've got to kind of argue, well. If the CEO doesn't have doesn't have an impact on how you play on the field, then why does this why does this world word, word uh, culture even bother coming up at all? Um, so I'm I'm really strong strongly believe that you've got to have the the right people in charge. Um, if you think of it, uh, and I know a lot of people aren't a fan of John Elliott, but he was a very successful president at Carlton, and he used to say, to be a successful f- football club, you've got to have a, a great president, a great CEO a great coach so there's three things you've got there before you even bring a player into discussion
1: yeah sorry you go
2: no no that's right go for it man
1: I was gonna say do you think uh we'll we'll get on to the coach aspect in a moment but um is is Paul Brusher the right man to be taking up the presidency and and well I don't Mm. know if you have any thoughts on Xavier but uh uh, I mean Mm. we can only speak of of Paul based on what we've seen um from the club Mm. lately
2: yeah, well, it's interesting because he was on the board during the supplement saga. People have made a big deal about that. I don't see it as a, that big a deal when you look at what's happening now because I think when you're on a board, you're not really always understanding what's happening. And obviously that comes down to why you might not have a strong board because the board members aren't being properly informed. But yeah, aside, I'm, I'm happy to say, look, he was on the board then he may not have been a, a massively present board member, so I'm happy to give him a pass there. But now he's, he's committed to the club and he's he said that he's got the time to do it, which I'll take him at face value, and I think saying that he's got the time to do it now means that, okay, he's got to, and he mentioned in his interview, that he's going to be conducting, um, I guess, a review of the entire club, and he said that he's going to do that review. I guess I was a little bit critical of him, what he said in terms of that issue, because I feel that if he's going to do a review, I believe, yes, he has to drive it. But I think it has to be done with highly credentialed people from outside of the club to then to to uh, help him with that. I mean, someone like Rowan Conley mentioned Jason Dunstall during the week as someone who could be brought in. I think maybe that's possibly a good idea. I don't see how you can have people who've, being responsible, partly responsible for getting the club to where it is now, um, conducting a review of that size and then that importance. Um, having, you know, so because, uh, and, and another reason for that is because I don't believe those people are capable of doing a proper review. People can argue with that. And obviously that involves people like Xavier and Dan Richardson. Um so that's where I stand there on that. I think we're 50-50 with that one. I'm happy the review is going on. I think we need to bring in other people to do it with Paul Brasher. Mm. Um, I think when we look at things that what he said, there, there were good things that he just, that he mentioned in the last press conference that I think were better, not press conference, interview that I think were better than the first one. Um, and this issue of there being, you know, he started off saying things are rarely as good or as bad as they seem at the time. But to be absolutely clear, we are not in denial. So I think there were some better things coming out of him there.
0: Um, yeah, I thought um, in comparison to um, to Richardson, he came out and he said this is he was essentially glossing over it. He was all positive mm-hmm. and saying we're creating a new culture, and mm-hmm. to me, listening from the outside, that seems that. That wasn't, didn't give me any confidence because what that sounded like to me was that he was, they're they're still in denial. They were in Mm. denial before that Mm -hmm. this was going on. Mm -hmm. They've clearly lost four players. One of which, I mean, they backed their culture to keep Danaher Mm. and essentially it was a broken culture because it had no impact on his decision anyway. So, Mm. so knowing that the culture is broken, they should have traded him last year, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But but again, he's gone with this hard-headed approach that, you know what? If you don't like it, get out. Mm-hmm. And so I think with, with the, the – and it's all rumours, right? With mm-hmm. the rumours coming out of the club that that some players – and Adam Saad, to me, doesn't strike me as a rat bag, as a bad person. He seems like a mm-hmm. really genuine, good mm-hmm. human being. Mm-hmm. So if that kind of person wants to leave your football club, mm-hmm. to me, that's that's alarm bells. That's mm-hmm. something is, is – Seriously wrong mm-hmm. with the way that you are treating your employees or communicating mm-hmm. with your employees, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not um, to say sure.
1: uh, any of the other four were were ratbags
0: at all either. <laughs> no, no, no. But but they had there'd been talk about them leaving, yeah, for yeah, over yeah. twelve months, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, I was just uh, clearing that up, <laughs> just prefacing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well,
2: look, I think there's it's definitely merit in that. I mean, um. And Adam then sort of discussed how – well, maybe he didn't discuss it and maybe this is a misquote with the idea of it, that he being sold a, a dream or sold a, an idea that this the Essen Football Club was going one way and he hasn't been seen any evidence of that. I mean, regardless of whether he said that or not, I think you can, we can clearly see that's what he thought. Um, yeah. And so yeah. That's, that's really important that um, – <clears throat> For, for him to make that decision, it is based on that alone. It's based on culture. It's based on promises that were made that, that were not being um, that were not being developed and fulfilled. I think also probably the hub didn't help, and that there was a bit of infighting and a, a bit of cattiness between players that he probably wasn't willing to put up with or, or deal with any further. Um, yeah. So look, but going back to Brasher, I mean, look, he. Start, I thought he started off well, but then it, again, we kind of start going backwards when we. We start then talk. You know, his first his first points were about responding to rumors. And you know, and I think, well, wh- why are we interested in responding to rumor? Why do we give that? Why do we give that kind of talk time from our president at anyway? Um, so I mean, this issue of players giving games irrespective of form. I hadn't heard that rumor myself. Mm. I don't see how a president needs to even discuss that. I think we're beyond that. I think let's just get serious about what we're doing um and the other one was about the you know ever since leaving windy hill um the writing's been on the wall and and again like this is just not an important issue for a president to be discussing um Mm. and buying into those rumors i mean that's just why would you why would you even buy into it um
0: sorry i i have a thought on the windy hill one and it's Mm -hmm. and it's only a small one right i um so I I went to school at a place called Carey, right? And that mm-hmm. a big thing of of that school was really tying into the history of the school. Mm. Um, so and, and I'm sure it's the same at Ivanhoe, right? Mm. But you walk down certain parts of the school and there's paintings of all the previous principals. There's um, trophies of of the previous you know first 18 that have won premierships, all that sort of stuff. And and as as a young Student, there you get a sense that that this is bigger than you, Mm. Um, and I can see how that move away from Windy Hill, right? And and I think it was completely necessary. And I think the facility, I've been to the facility at at the hangar, and it's incredible, right? It's Mm. a modern facility. It's got everything that they need. Mm. But I, I can see how people would view that that move away from Windy Hill. You're not walking the same hallways that. Um, Dick Reynolds walked down. You're not sitting in the same – you might have the number 32, but you're not sitting in the same spot that Tim Watson did. So I think you can lose some of that that energy around the place if you don't mm. then intentionally bring that back, if that mm. makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the bringing it back is what, what hasn't happened because – and that's what they needed to do, that they went to the hangar, great facility, um, but, you know, and people speak of it being a ghost town. People speak of it that that, that um, there isn't a, a vibe there to to coin that phrase. Ron Connolly wrote his article a couple of weeks ago when he said, "You know, you drive into the place and there's no color, there's no life, the, um, there's nothing that that makes you feel that it's a vibrant, exciting place to be." So I think the challenge is there now to make that um, to make the hangar become something and and, and let the players. Uh, build a connection with it Um, and they've they've got to be part of driving that connection of course but I think again it's got to be driven by the people at the top
1: Um, Mm
2: -hmm. and the CEOs have played big money for a reason and they've got they've got the ideas and they've got the resources and and so forth and so they that needs to be driven by Xavier and and I think so far we can we can say he hasn't been able to do it Um, Mm -hmm. if he stays on next year well okay I hope he can do it but so far uh, I don't think it's it's we can say that it's even a pass mark.
0: And and the thing with with the hangar is the the history of the place has been controversy. Mm. Like from the time we moved there, the drug saga essentially started straight away. Mm. And there's never been a big you know when when a team's in the prelim like this year is very different. But mm. when the team's in the prelim or getting ready for the grand final, like you look at Richmond last year. In the grand final. And Punt Road Oval is packed with fans. There's this energy, there's there's this mm-hmm. excitement. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in the time that we've been at the Hangar, there hasn't been any of those moments mm-hmm. for fans to get around and get excited about.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, that, and that's the challenge, isn't it? Like you, when you're not having success on the field, how are you meant to then develop that culture? Like what's it, what's it going to be based on? If you're not having success, um, then – then really, you kind of it's all it's all a little bit fake. I mean, I thought a mm. week when you know Andrew McGrath was the was the face of the Essendon Football Club for for the kind of a week and a half with his signing. And I'm thinking, is this is a, tw- a 21 year old, 20 year old kid who's kind of suddenly the face of Essendon? And I thought, hang on, that's that's one of the issues we're talking about when we're talking about mm. culture that we're putting it onto this kid who's just signed. Signed an extra year. I don't think it was that big a signing, really. Anyway, it was probably an extra year or two onto his contract.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I think. Oh, you go, Maddie. I was going to say if you can't if you can't sell wins, sell hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. But, Look, um, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Well, I, I was just going to say. Yeah, you know, I, I think I actually think it was important for Brasher to adjust those rumours because I think uh, as fans, it's probably something we've lacked over the years is having. You know, rumours quashed um, as they as they come out, but then again, you know, Brash is always going to say you know the things that are in in, in
0: um, yeah. you know, sort of most concerned with the club. So, mm. um, I, I yeah. think he's clearly seen that that the Essendon membership base and fans are incredibly frustrated because they've had wishy washy nonsense fed to them for for three years. And they're frustrated with getting some ridiculous message that doesn't mean anything. Like literally every press conference from Westfold over the last couple of years has been summed up as this. Yeah, we've got some learnings mm. and we, we're we looking to become a really good team. And if we want to become a really good team, then we have to take those learnings and take them on board. Mm. And that, that, that could literally have been any press conference from the entire time that he's been at the club.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I think, and I think he senses Brasher senses that the fans are restless. They're sick of it. They want real information. They want real communication. Mm. Um, but I agree with you that good, strong football clubs don't respond to Caroline Wilson articles. They just mm. laugh it off.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, sorry, Matt. Were you going to say something there?
0: No. Sorry. I, I uh,
1: had some technical uh, difficulties, but I um... ironed them out. Yeah, sorry, no, uh we can cut all that out. Sorry, my apologies. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: yeah well, I think we hey, can I mean, move on from it. But... Sorry yeah.
1: I was, about, it, mate. I was just about to say just just on washer. I think that probably segues into our next um mm. topic as in terms of uh thoughts on on truck um and sort mm-hmm. of uh, what what does he actually have to do to be successful? And obviously, you know, or win games well, obviously. But, mm-hmm. but what what holes has Worsfold left? And we've said in previous weeks there was a lot Worsfold did right um, mm. in terms of steadying the club. But you know every system's flawed. Some are useful. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what 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 holes has truck got to fill now with Worsfold going that are going to be essential for us to to move forward as a club?
2: Mm. Do you want me to have a go at that first?
1: Yeah, or yours.
2: Okay. Ah. Oh. What holes does he have to fill? Okay. Um, wow. This is I'm, – I'm not trying to say there's me- there's heaps of holes or anything. I'm just saying where do we start this discussion? I guess we, – look, we were as we we had some success there. We had – 2017, we played some football. Like, we won, I think, 10 out of 11 games or something. We just got on these incredible runs um, mm. uh, of – Playing and then winning into state, and you think we're winning, we're finally winning into state, like something's yep. happening. And then maybe the same thing happened in twenty eighteen, where we didn't make the finals, but we played this. We played great footy into state. We won against. I think we might have won five or six games in state. Anyway, getting off into state, we had a great some great patches of form. So something was going right there. Um, and then obviously. When things we didn't we weren't playing well, I think it, it kind of became an emphasis on our game, um, not our game style, but our game plan. I think this idea of a game plan became kind of too big. Mm. And we kind of got recognized as this as this side who had great runoff half back up half half back, but we couldn't lock down defensively and things like that. And I'm I'm kind of getting the, the feeling that <clears throat> they might have bought too much into that. Um, I don't know what you guys think of that.
0: Um. I I agree. I think um, I think they they overcorrected. I think there were times mm. when, when teams would kick a run of goals against us and we mm. wouldn't be able to seem to stop them, right? Mm. But I think this year, and certainly last year, we seemed to focus on locking down at the expense of what we were actually good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think football's cyclical, right? So Mm. you look at what the Premier's doing and then people start, the the decent teams start to mimic them. Mm. But what you find in in every three or four year cycle, a team comes out and they have a new style of of play. You saw it with Geelong that were, you know, through the middle of the corridor, handball, quick ball movement. Then Mm. you saw it with Hawthorne, really... Um, clear, really good kicking skills and they'd move the ball. They'd have um, Clarko's cluster and they'd move the ball really well. Mm -hmm. And then you get this Richmond style that's forward handball, just chaos ball, just get the ball forward as as quickly as you can and put on a lot of frontal pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, But the teams invariably that become the really good teams that win multiple premierships over a number of years actually develop their own style. And I felt that Essendon was moving towards that with Wurzfeld. Mm. They had this really quick game style where mm. they had a lot of speed and run and could really turn it on. Mm. And they just needed to refine defence. But mm. I think they went too far the other way. I think mm. they, they said, this is not good enough. Let's get rid of this and become mm. like Richmond or become like someone else.
2: Mm. Yeah. I think you've, you've made some interesting points there around the, this idea of game style as compared to a game plan. And I think that in AFL football... I've, the, game, the idea of a game plan doesn't really fit with me that well. I think a game style is a lot different. A successful clubs all have game styles. Now, game plans are kind of maybe very technical. And, and I think maybe one of the concerns about Rutten is that he's heavily into game plans and things like that, um, when he needs to be focusing on connecting a game style around. Being better, being better competitors um, as footballers and being able to play 100 minutes of football and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think at the time at Essendon, um, that was one thing we weren't able to develop consistently was a game style. And if I look at specific players, I, it comes back to the coaching. When you, when you look at someone like Danaher, I don't feel as if, even when he was playing his best, I don't I don't feel like he was going forward as a player necessarily. He was still... Making the similar mistakes as even in his first years. I mean, he, yep. he didn't have his kicking right. Still, he was mm. he was you know being undisciplined um, and things like that. And so that's where I think Worstfald as a coach had probably some of his b- bigger weaknesses is that he wasn't able to address players' specific needs. And I think some weeks it worked because we had talent on the park, but other weeks when we had to, we were challenged by sides and we had to really delve into our inner resources. And our skills were challenged in ways that we hadn't been challenged previously. We—that's we, when we were found wanting. Probably mm-hmm. particularly in the Sydney final that was when it was most prevalent. You know, um, so look, that's that's probably where I'm coming from as a critiquing worst fold as a coach. I think he didn't. He wasn't able to move players forward into the next phase of their career and make them really good quality A-grade players.
1: Mm. Yeah. I- but- Sorry, you. <laughs> you go. No, you go, Betty. I was, <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, for me, for Whoosh, um, I I always viewed that Woosh saw it as a job more than actually. And, and, and what I mean by that is, uh, you look at Dimmer. Um, I think you know Luke Beveridge comes to mind. Clarko comes to mind. Uh, and look, this is I'm I'm not within the four walls of essence. so I don't know for real. But of it. <laughs> For, for you know, for truth, but um, it, it didn't seem like like those guys. They have a lot of like it's more than a job to them. You know, it's it's really mm-hmm. a part of who they are and part of their their identity. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I, I don't feel like that was the case for for whoosh. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like he, this was a guy. This was his his day job. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, as soon as it was over, you know, it it, it well not as soon as it was over, but it wasn't part of his identity. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I—I I, I mean, and this is just from what I've seen on footage and stuff. Um, I, I feel like John, very much his, uh, uh not plea but uh, appeal to the players was okay. What do you guys want to get out of it as individuals? How do you want your mm-hmm. career to go? And mm-hmm. look, that's obviously one part of of coaching is appealing to the individual. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like especially when you've got a young group, and I've said this before that that can be very detrimental because instead of Getting a whole bunch of young guys who are coming out of a draft system in which you know you you do need to be selfish. That mm-hmm. you, you don't come on a core completely wrong in saying this, but they actually want to come together and, and play for something that's bigger than themselves. Um mm-hmm. I, I think you can do that when you've got a really mature bunch who have played together for a long time, who, you know, as we spoke about before, have, have connections. But yeah, I, I just don't feel like Woosh was the the right, as you said, to take guys who were young and take them into the next level, or guys who were in you know sort of uh, on the on the crux of their or oh, so on the on the edge of their prime into real elite status. He needed them to be already made. Um, so mm-hmm. that that was my knock on on, on Woosh, but um, and yeah. I think that's where Truck has to come in. Is uh, you know the, I think these players, as Ross Lyons spoke about on Footy Classified, needs. To get that dynamics right, how's his relations like? Do his players love him? Do they do they play for him? And going mm-hmm. back to Kevin Sheedy, as you said, that was something he probably did really well. Is that guys wanted to play for Kevin Sheedy? Guys wanted to play for something other than themselves. And you mm-hmm. you can't you know you don't get that by you know game soul or game. But yes, that's part of winning, but you you can't formulate that from just X's and O's and a, and a whiteboard and and, and tactics mm-hmm. and that side sort of things. So. I think that's where truck needs to move in, but also as well, you know, expanding on a, a real sort of game identity as you guys touched on. Mm, mm,
2: mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. Some of the, the points you made there about John Worsfold, um, this idea that it was only a job, it wasn't a passion, it wasn't a lifestyle, it wasn't part of him. And I think we can even analyse some some more detail there, with just some basic things. Well, like, for example, his family didn't enjoy living in Melbourne, so they had yeah. to go. To live there, and and so you know he was kind of left here coaching without them, um, and that takes and, a toll, and and it and it does it takes a toll. But I think it just shows that as to be a successful AFL coach, it's not just about the coach buying in; it's about his or whole support networks, um,
1: hundred
2: yeah. percent buying in as well. And and as you said, this with the specific um, nature of Essendon as a football club, that's not the type of coach we we can have at at that time, and so. Things didn't line up there um, well for us either. Um, look, so I guess it just then we sort of comes back to this whole idea of well, there's been so many confusing messages, and if you're a player there, you're dealing with change so often. So when how are you getting continuity into your um, development as a player when there's this this just uh, you know revolving door of change of personnel of game style. Of, of philosophy of different voices talking to you and trying to coach you. Yeah, very, very difficult. Um, and I think mm. the, the review needs to settle on that. And look, if it, if, it, if we don't get this next coaching appointment right with Rudden I mean, look, the, we're, we're talking about several more years where <laughs> where we're going to be waiting and waiting. And so we've just got to get it right now. We really have to get it right now.
0: My... Um- my big fear is that if Rutten is not the guy to take Essendon forward, right, um, there's there's no one left that is recent enough to have the football knowledge to be able to coach well that has the heart and soul of that Essendon that was successful through the 90s and early 2000s. Like, really, when Hurd when came in, he was 100% the right guy for the job regardless of what happened after that but he he was a champion of Essendon. he loved the football club he had the football knowledge to really take the club forward and i think he had has had and still has all the credentials to be a really incredible mm-hmm. um, afl coach mm-hmm. but who who else is left now there's there's no from from his time of finishing forward as ron connolly says apart from joe watson what champion has Essenham produced? And I don't think they have. Mm. I don't think there, there is one player that could come back and who is who would appease the fans and be a hero of the football club.
2: Mm. Yeah. So I mean that's that's then kind of I guess um sort of relying on that um that champion player to come back and be a coach. Look, if that would be nice if that could happen. And I actually agree with you. I think James has probably got more to offer again. I think we'll learn a lot from it. I think the last time Essendon was actually in a good place internally was around 2012, although he had some shocking injuries. 2013, and that was a time where the players were, they had they had direction, they were playing well, and um, there's been comments from people like um, Dean Wallace who said, you know, under Hurdy, the place was really humming along. And mm. look, man, and my dad was there at the time, and I think he even said, you know, he would have been happy to play under he would He would have loved to have played under Hurt. So, yeah. was, so, so he had something about him, really, James, didn't he? And then I guess his inexperience cost him a little bit um, in terms yeah. of the people that surrounded him. Um, I guess the question of what coaches are out there, and this is where we need to have the best people behind the scenes working for us, the best CEO, the best general football manager who can – do the intel and get around and put a list together of who are the next best generation of coaches? You know, who are those guys who maybe had AFL careers and now they're into their 40s and they want to coach at senior level. Um, and it's up to, as I say, it's up to um, uh, whoever we have as CEO, whoever we have as general manager of football, uh, whoever we have on the board to, to do that work. Um, and I think it's important to, constantly have a list that you're continually monitoring of who is actually the best talent out there that you can get to your club Mm. Um, yeah
1: well i I guess we 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 think we've got it in in truck rutted, which is uh that's right to be seen isn't it yeah hey well just on um speaking of listen and stuff like that i i mean we i think it's every snm fans uh uh, not i don't know novelty conversation is the right word but uh it's a it's a constant debate on mr Dodoro. um now is mm-hmm. he in your is he the right man to sort of take this list forward or is it time for a bit of uh refresh in that in that department um mm-hmm. just yeah give us your give us your thoughts there
2: I'd probably say probably a bit of a refresh time i'd think um but i'd i'd say only a refresh if if the other people are going to be going as well. I'd probably want to hang on to Adrian uh, more so than some of the others that are there in the in the other roles. So, look, if you're going to refresh all the senior positions at the club, then, yes, I'd probably move him on. But if not, probably keep him for another year or two and see what happens. Um, yeah. I think he's done – look, I think he's done a reasonable job. And if, look, I – um, you know, even go back to a year or two ago, a quote from Kane Corns that I looked up was Essendon's list wants for nothing. And this was in t- early 2019. Um, end of 2019, Math- Matthew Lloyd's saying, to, you know, Dadara's done a fantastic job. And so, look, 12 months later, obviously that hasn't worked out, but I think um, we got the list to a pretty good position um, 12 months ago. So, yeah. i have to agree? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I I I think it's been a long time or a while anyway since maybe, maybe you know pre heard, where I would genuinely say our list is like our list is not up to scratch. Like this is a bad list. Like this needs a hard reset. Mm-hmm. Scrap everything. Throw everything at the door. Look, it, a list manager, you're never going to get everything right in terms of the draft. I I think a, a visit to the draft have been pretty good. I don't have a problem with the young talent or who we've brought through the door over the years. And as you said Mm -hmm. before, Joel, you know, we've had plenty of guys who have either been All-Australian at our club or have gone on to be All-Australian at another club. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, resonates Mm -hmm. with the point that we were good enough to get the talent in the door. Perhaps we just weren't Mm -hmm. good enough to keep them or develop them. But Mm -hmm. I I don't think, yeah, I'm really in the camp of, I I don't think the door is the problem. And in fact, I think, (laughs) I don't know if there's anyone I'd rather... Uh I, I think you said this last week, Nick, that there's probably no one I'd rather, you know, with, with four of our best um, wanting to leave, well, there's probably, yeah, for the third time, no one I'd rather at the trade table trying to milk every little bit out of it.
2: hmm Yeah. Is Nick there or? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Oh, sorry, mate. I thought you might have dropped out. <laughs> um, I was just waiting for you to jump in. Sorry. Um, yeah. So – yeah, look, I, yeah, I tend to agree and my dad had a lot to do with Adrian. They worked very closely together over the last 10 or so years putting this list together and I think it it started to get going at certain certain years and then we'd, we'd lose players and we'd have to kind of try to fill those holes again. Um, yep. But like building a good list does take time um, and when you've built a good list and – they don't have success, then we kind of go, we fall into that mode of saying, well, maybe the players aren't good enough. And I think that's that's kind of a bit too much of an easy way out at this stage. I think we we need to really give our best shot at developing players like Aaron Francis. Um, like, you know, if you look, ask any recruiter where Aaron Francis was on their list of um, clubs were going to take him in the top five, or, you know, top mm. five to seven or eight. And so, look, there's no play probably with that, that guy's talent. Obviously, mentally, we need to work with him and get him to play the best football he can. Um, I guess other guys like Mason Redman, he's another one um, who I think we need to stick with um, and develop. Uh um, I mean, there's heaps of names there I could pick that I'm I'm happy to have on our list. I just think we need to get them playing their best football, and so far we haven't, probably haven't been able to do it with most of them. Um,
0: I I agree. I I think someone like a Mason Redman for mine. I'd love him playing inside mid. Get him fit enough. I think he's hard enough to. He will just throw himself at the contest. I don't know that that Francis could get fit enough, but I think he's a he's another hard, tough, skillful player that we. Really need it's it's up to us now as a football club to get the best out of him. It, mm-hmm. It's always a two way street, right? Mm-hmm. The player has to put in, mm-hmm. but I mean, given what he's been through in terms of his homesickness, and I think his I think his brother passed away in his draft year, and all this mm-hmm. stuff. I think I think the onus on us now is to get the best out of him mm-hmm. and help him get to become the best player. Because I think he's probably the most talented player on our list, to be honest. If we're talking pure talent.
2: Yeah, as I say, like he, when he was in his draft year, he was just, you know, every recruiter said he was just an amazing reader of the play. He had great hands. And again, you kind of do the hindsight thing. Well, what, what if he ended up at at, um, at Geelong or what if he ended up at, at Sydney or so? I know Sydney are in a hole now, but they've been a great club. You, you know, you'd probably say, well, he probably really would have made it as a footballer by now already. Um, yep. So look, it's a hindsight game. I, I'm looking forward to seeing... Um, I'd love to see Laverde get his body right and see how he goes. Um,
0: yeah,
2: I'd. Uh, you know, I was, I was disappointed. Obviously, the list cuts with um, COVID have made things hard. I was looking forward to see how Begley could go. Mm. That's not going to happen now. Um, Ridley coming forward, that was ahead of time, so we get a tick there. Mm. Reaper. I mean, he was a great get. The the guy was the guy's new to football. He was playing reserves grade football in Adelaide, and you know. Luckily, we enough to see see some talent in him, um, and he's he's a, he's a great competitor. Mm. Hopefully, we've got the culture right where he will he will remain a great competitor, and he won't sort of get lazy and and fall back into bad habits, which is what a problem I think we've had with some of our our best players is that it's become a little bit too much of a question of well, this week I'll want it, but but next week you know I'll, I'll go missing.
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess win, win loss is not always correlated with uh, the quality of your list. I mean, look at um, you know Melbourne or a uh, I'm trying to think someone who's who's yeah, probably underperformed. But yeah, Melbourne's probably the one that comes to mind the most. Mm. Um, great list, but you just—they're in a very similar to boat, uh, very similar boat to us. And I think culturally, they've got some issues to sort out, but. Just goes to show you can have a great list and and mm-hmm. not do all that well because you you know you you're the rest of your football department isn't in uh, isn't in check. So, um, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely, yeah, exactly right. I'll
2: look at look at Port Adelaide. We'll probably yeah,
1: Port Port another example, yeah, of
2: what yeah. changing
1: your football department.
2: Yeah, yeah. And last year we were seen as a team that was kind of pegging with them as the kind of two underperformers of the competition mm. and the teasers of the competition and. They've got it. right. I mean, I've always thought Hinkley was a, a great operator, um, and so they've been able to get it right this year and look where they finished. They had a great year. I think overall, next year, what, what can we hope for? I guess is we want to be competing really well every week um, as, as supporters. That's what we want to see. We want to see our players um, becoming better footballers next year. Um, we want to we want to see the team developing a, a style of play that we can rely on. Similar to that game against Collingwood earlier in the year where we, you know, that was that was a brand of Essendon football that hasn't been played for a long time.
0: Mm. And so, the, do you know, yeah. I, I get the sense, w- what frustrates me as a, as a supporter watching Essendon is that the, that kind of performance that we had against Collingwood, you get the sense that the players are playing for the jumper. But there's <laughs> so, so often you don't, I get the sense that they don't have that pride in the jumper that they would literally lay down their life for the football club, and I think we've been missing that for quite a while. Mm.
2: Hmm. Yeah, definitely.
0: No.
2: Yeah. Dummy bear.
0: Yeah. No, good. No, <laughs> no worries. No worries. But Joel, it's, um. Look, it's been it's been great to have you on the cast. We were hoping for half an hour, and we've been going um almost an hour now. So no
2: um,
0: I think um. I mean, you're always welcome to come back when you when you want to talk to our 25 listeners. I'm sure they'd love to hear you again. Maybe after this um, week, there might be
2: 50. You never know.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so thanks so much for coming in. You if you've so got much. any final thoughts, just one final thought on what to look forward to next year. I mean, I was gunning for a premiership from the Bombers, but, you know, what? Um, what what's something that you're really hopeful for that that you're excited to see for the Bombers next year?
2: Okay. Um, I want to – well, I think – I guess I said it in the last little bit was – Let's let's get a game style um, that we can be proud of, that we can look forward to seeing each week. Let's get our our players, um, as you said, playing for the jumper, and they they're going to be Essendon people. They're not going to be players that are going to be gone and moving to other clubs in two to three years' time. But they're going to want to sign up at the Essendon Football Club. Um, I want to see a coach who is engaged emotionally with his players. I want to see some hugging. I want to see some, you know what I mean? I want to see some rev yeah, I do know what you mean. I want to see yeah. some rev ups. Uh, and I want to see, I want to hear some real detail about how we're developing our players, how we're developing our, our style of play. Um, and, and unfortunately we've kind of, we, we turned into passive listeners of, um, you know, cliches and so forth that, that came out over the last couple of years and, the 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 I want that, that aspect, that face of the club to change next year. Um and I basically want to be proud of the club again. And hopefully we this time we can we can sit there and watch them play play some finals. That would be another thing. Yeah, great.
0: There's a few things. Mm. Well awesome. Thanks for uh thanks for giving us some of your time on time of recordings of Sunday Sunday evening. We really appreciate it, Joel. But um yeah, great to have a chat to you.
2: Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it, mate, and thanks Matt. It was great.
0: No, no, thanks Thanks. for coming, mate. Cheers, boys. Bye. All right, have a good one. So there you have it. Some really, really interesting topics and really great insight from, from Joel, someone who's very, very close to the football club. And luckily, after we recorded, he said he was more than happy to come back at a future date. So... As long as the listener feedback's good, and I'm sure it will be, I'd, I'd love to get him on and, and hear him thoughts once more. He's he, just like you and I. He's just a, a at heart a fan of the Essendon Football Club and, and a lover of the football club, and someone who wants to see it back to where it where it has been in the past. You know, where it deserves to be, right at the top. Now, as as I said at the top of the show, obviously there's been a lot of news that's gone down, and we've got trade week coming up. So over the next. Uh, days and weeks we're going to come back and record we'll give our thoughts on uh, player movement hopefully we'll get some exciting news with of course the announcements of Caldwell wanting to come to the Bombers and even the rumours that Dunkley has asked for a trade at the Western Bulldogs so I think there's some exciting times ahead for the Bomber fans out there and hopefully we can dissect some really good news and some really exciting stuff but like always thank you for listening and until next time Go Bombers!